Very left is the U.S. Closer to low context next to U.S. is Germany. It seems like uh, Argentina is like middle, but towards the right, closer mm-hmm. to high context. And then the high context extreme is Korea. So that alone, we can cover the whole spectrum of cultural nuances when, it's, when it comes to communicating, right? Welcome to another product podcast, your go-to place for tech stories from Europe with a special dash of Berlin spice. I'm Enoch. And I am David. And we are here to serve you that non-vanilla and raw version that other podcasts won't give you. Today, we're discussing a favorite book of mine, Enoch. That is The Culture Map. I've been chilling that book for a while by now, and you're probably sick of me. But I think it's super important for anyone working in a cross-cultural environment. And that's the reason I want us to talk a little bit about this one. I'll give you some background about the book and the author and what we are going to be discussing today. And we can start uh, expanding on our personal experiences. Yeah, on a side note, this culture map. I've been being on the shelf for a while, like top seller, right? Not only you told me, my friend, and she's a lawyer. They're also studying this as part of like their work orientation stuff. So again, whether you're a product people type focus or you're just listening to this because we forced you, aka my friends, I think this will be a good episode. Nice, nice. The good thing about the book is the way it is structured. It goes from communication across cultures, leadership styles, decision making, and even one of my favorites, how late is late. All these things that contribute to have a very good collaboration is discussed across all chapters. However, we're going to focus on the first one, which it's going to lie the foundation of the conversation moving forward. So the title of the book is The Culture Map, Breaking Through the Invisible Boundaries of Global Business. And the author is Erin Meyer. I hope I didn't butcher her name. <laughs> She's an author, a speaker, and a cultural expert, focusing on how the most successful leaders navigate the complexities of cultural differences in a multicultural environment. Although we know her from her book, The Culture Map, she's also the co-author of No Rules Rules, Netflix and the Culture of Reinvention, alongside Reed Hastings. That is her most recent work. She's also a professor at INSET, one of the world's leading international business schools with campuses in France. That's where she started, and now also in Singapore and Abu Dhabi. Her work has appeared in Harvard Business Review, The New York Times, Forbes, and so on. So an impressive background. And for us in product management, Erin's book and her teachings are invaluable, where it's leading a diverse team, which is pretty common in Europe, or managing stakeholders. You can visit her website, erinmayon.com. We're going to leave the link in the description below. So without further ado, let's get into it. Interesting. When I think of France, let's just shoot some fires to go viral. A French (laughs) professor, a French lady telling what the culture should be. Isn't that a little ironic? (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, she is from the U.S. That is true. That it's even worse. The American French, right? And they're very particular about their culture, <laughs> what cheese they want. They're very stubborn, stick to their culture. But this lady, 
overcame that Aaron, shout out to you and really mapped out these cultural differences in just life or in business. Yeah, I mean, she's married to a French man and has two kids. So I think when you're already spending that much in a different country and you have a family and you have to learn, you know, all the nuances of other culture, she can certainly speak from personal experience. So David, why do you think we're a good fit to talk about Aaron Meyer's book and why the people should listen to us? Because who are you, David, to say, oh, we're going to use this book, Aaron Meyer, Cultural Map, <laughs> and have listeners to listen to us? That's a great question. There is something that I can relate with her. She said at some point during the introduction of the book that she grew up in a small town, mm -hmm. just like myself, where most people spend their entire lives there. Mm -hmm. So they don't have the chance to leave and have certain perspective about what makes their culture mm -hmm. that culture, right? I, as an Argentinian, I'm coming from a culture that has high context. So I'm coming from a culture where there is shared understanding about certain things and, and you don't need to be as explicit when communicating. Uh, but I work many years for U.S. companies and U.S. is very explicit. It needs to be very explicit. They have very low context when communicating. And now I'm living in Germany, also a low context culture, but still different from the U.S. And in Berlin, you meet people from all around the globe, all across the context spectrum. What about you? Yeah, not to dive in too deep. I'm Korean. Again, the East Asian culture is very different. We have respect language that you talk to older people. Even if you were born, let's say, a year older than somebody, you are considered as an older brother, older sister, which you have a total different language or cultural nuances that you do. Then to your friend, only friend you can be is the same age. If you're younger than that, a year younger than me, I am older, total different nuance. So from that to growing up in Kazakhstan, which is very post-Soviet, Kazakh is a, I mean, Kazakh, they're Muslims, but you have the Russian influence from that to U.S., right? L.A., New York, as you can tell, like the laid back and the low context communication skills. And at the end of the day, we represent multicultural managers who work in multicultural companies. Mm -hmm. So it does make sense why we have a lot of insight and empathy on what this book talks about. Nice. And yeah, and I think we can even go beyond work as well, because this way of communicating, it does not only apply to business. It is something that all of us have from our life in general. So let's talk a little bit more about what communicating in a high and low context means. Erin puts in, in her book that high context communication is often indirect and the listener is expected to read between the lines. So if you're communicating with someone in a high context culture, you expect that the listener is going to pick up the nuances, is going to pick up the body language, the, the things that you didn't say, but you want to say, mm -hmm. right? um, whereas in a low context communication style, the communication is direct and explicit. And if you probably remember a few examples working with Americans, they place a lot of responsibility on the communicator, the one sending the message. 
if the recipient didn't get your message, then that's on you. When it comes to the extreme of the spectrum, we have the US as the lowest context country. And then you have Japan, Korea, and Indonesia at the other side of the spectrum with high context. Mm-hmm. What's your take on this one? I mean, let's let's add a little bit here. Low context being US, and then it's a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Very left is the US. Closer to low context next to US is Germany. It seems like uh, Argentina is like middle, but towards the right, closer mm-hmm. to high context. And then the high context extreme is Korea. So that alone, we can cover the whole spectrum of cultural nuances when it's when it comes to communicating right exactly and i think there we have really these fun examples but just to double touch on us yes if i am communicating to my stakeholders my goal is to make sure they understand what i'm hoping to say right so being as direct as possible right i think this is even in school you learn when you write essays tell them what you're going to tell them tell them Tell them what you told them. That is as American direct, um, explicit <laughs> communication skills that um, they, the companies and the people expect. Korea is totally opposite. So there's this word called dunchi. It translates to the feeling of becoming aware of the gaze, the gaze or atmosphere around you or moving accordingly. So... It's similar to reading the lines, but also reading the atmosphere. It's complex. There is no direct translation, I believe, in English. Mm-hmm. But if we say you want to do well in Korean society, you need to have this nunchi, right? A simple example at work, let's say, my boss doesn't take lunch. You're expected to not take lunch. Your boss is working, right? right. Read, read the room, right? <laughs> if your boss is, let's say, working late, right? Although you finish all your tickets as an engineer or you did whatever and your boss hasn't left, um, you shouldn't be leaving. Read the room, right? Read the read room. The, yeah, read the atmosphere. The fact you're not going yeah. anywhere. Yeah, that's, that's one work example. I mean, we can talk about even like the drinking culture which is very very embedded in korean also i believe japanese business so this is the example that i always tell to my white Mm -hmm. friends if i pour a shot of soju which is like sake it's a rice vodka the youngest will always have to pour to the oldest so let's say i report to you david so i will pour the shot glass Mm -hmm. and then I pour everybody, and then I can't pour it to myself. Somebody needs to pour mine. <laughs> nice. And then in front of the elders, whether um, you're my boss or you're um, a year older than me, I can't drink the shot before you do. When you drink the shot, I can't make an eye contact with you. Mm-hmm. I have to cover my glass with my other hand, turn my head sideways, and drink the shot. That's not even dunchi, is, that's right. just part of the culture. Mm-hmm. It's right? a ritual. Right? right. It's expected to happen. Exactly. Um, now, that is interesting. Going back to the US, I had to adjust to a lower context communication style coming from a place like Argentina, where we also have uh, a word to express that you don't need to provide any further detail. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's called sobreentendido. Literally translated would be like over understood. So more than once it happened to me that I would be like, stop it right there. Mm-hmm. I don't need more context. I don't need more detail. You're just stating the obvious. Mm-hmm. And if you continue, you, you can come up even as condescending and patronizing the other person. Um, so I struggled at, at the beginning with people from the US in that sense. And looking at this chart as well, I can see um, that Australia and Germany they are also in that cluster of low context communication. And I've, I've had, you know, many interactions where, where I was feeling that by stating the obvious was just completely unnecessary and you have to deal with that at the end. It's not malice or bad intention. It's just a way they communicate. But that took me some time during my early days. But yeah, I see Argentina in the middle cluster, a little bit towards the high context. But there's a good caveat that we need to talk about. This is not an absolute. So the author makes the argument that it's it's all about relatives, right? What kind of communication style is between these two? What's the gap? Because for me as an Argentinian, talking with someone from Australia, Germany, or US, they're all lo- lower context than me, right? So I'll have to adjust to that communication style. Mm. But yeah, I mean, just like we have that in Argentina, I know that France, Portugal, they also have expressions to say, hey, we get it, right? Mm -hmm. When growing up, my younger brother was a little overweight. And just one word my mom will say, like she looked at the clock, she looks at my brother and says, you're eating again? That's it. That's it. That's it. You're eating again. That could have meant like, yes, I am eating again. Right for let's say more low context. Let's say if you were U.S. Mm-hmm. or or it could be a you eating again. Do you need something? Right in in that like if it's in English, it can even you can you can develop it to that kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. But looking at the clock, looking at my brother, you eating again? That alone meant so many things. Sometimes for me, to be honest, it's very passive aggressive. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That is how we can come up. Yeah. But the best way to not think of that it's passive aggressive is, hey, we've been listening to what you're saying. You don't need to repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's disrespectful to go explain this from le- zero because you're assuming that we weren't listening. For example, at work, as a product manager, we write a lot of product specs or we define why we're trying to solve this problem. So, whether it's with your internal team or with stakeholders, sometimes you have these kickoffs. Why are we solving this problem? These are the metrics, right? I usually write on the Confluence page or something. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry to hear. Yeah. So tune into our next episode about David hates Jira. No, I don't hate it. I wouldn't use it. I wouldn't use it. Yes. <laughs> um, Notion sponsor us. Yeah. Episode 15. Yeah. But back to the kickoff meeting and spec, I write these questions, hypothesis and whatnot. And we have a kickoff meeting to make sure we go over this, right? If I were to do that in Korea, they will be like, you wrote the document. Why are we wasting our time? If my role is to provide a scope of a feature or hypothesis of a product, right? They 
are are already in tune and they already read it and they don't need this extra meeting to discuss. Mm-hmm. As a product manager who work in American culture, I would write this document, send it to them, write make a calendar event, kickoff meeting. I mean, if I want to be really, really um, straightforward, meeting agenda, these are the three things we're going to talk about. Please mm-hmm. read the confluence mm-hmm. page. In the meeting, we go over the document, right? Even then, there are some questions or they don't, half of the guys don't listen, right? And I expect that. And my goal is to, how can I dummy it down the most so we all have the same understanding? But sometimes they lose attention because they think you're saying the obvious. Yes. Even, even at the end of the meeting where you want to just summarize it, the points or you want to follow up with meeting notes and all that. I found that here is not as effective, to be honest. It's a standard practice in the US and you're going to be seen as a good communicator if you do it. But here it's not appreciated, not, not on purpose. It's because they don't see the value. Again, because you're setting the obvious. You don't need to be repeating like a parrot all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. But I used to think that you can't really go wrong if you go low context because also coming from engineering, we had something like a saying when you were writing code that was explicit over implicit. Mm. Right. Can you define that or ex- expand that more? So for instance, if you were writing a function or an algorithm or anything, and you had a tendency to make that very short, very crisp or very sophisticated, is it still hiding some logic in a way that is not explicit? So if someone else needs to review that, it's just extra friction to understand what did, uh, you do. And that was also expanded to communication, especially having these issues between the, the office in Argentina with the office in New York. So we had to default towards the lower end. And when I came here to Berlin, you know, you, you also read the room. You lose people's attention, kick off meetings and sharing agenda uh, items in advance and then sharing documents. No one reads the documents. Mm-hmm. No one reads the links. Except the Amazon folks. Amazon. Maybe, yes, exactly. Their one-page Amazon yeah. culture. And um, the PR FAQ doc. So, yeah, hmm. it can be counterproductive. That mm-hmm. is the bottom line. It can be counterproductive to be uh, too explicit and, and trying to reinforce something over and over. Because you can come up as condescending and patronizing. Mm-hmm. And I can, I definitely agree with that and happened to my company as well. And I think what's the best solution for this? I mean, David, you mentioned it a little bit. It, this is relative, right? Put yourself out there, what your main culture is and see your team members, how they perceive it. For example, my team, I have. Um, a lot of Latin Americans, whether it's Ecuador, we have Brazilian engineer, Taiwanese Canadian, we have Ukrainian, even, even the nuances between, let's say, Spain, Portugal, or North Italy, South Italy. I mean, these are the so many deeper things that I'm still learning. And I need to put myself, yeah, how literal do I have to go to not offend, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Do I need to be more low context, more explicit so that People understand, they know exact responsibility and role and understand um, what needs to be done. It happened to me a few times that if you are not stating the obvious in the way you would do in your own culture, 
then a low context manager could think that you are either hiding information or being secretive or just not great at communicating effectively. Whereas the other way around is the issue that we saw before, right? Like this person is just sharing irrelevant details at this point. Mm -hmm. So there's a quote from the book. The best advice I can give is to learn to listen to what is meant instead of what is said. This means reflecting more, asking more clarifying questions, and making an effort to be more receptive to body language and cues, especially in a business setting where English is not their first language. This is another key fact on working in European tech companies versus American tech. I don't think in Silicon Valley, tech challenged me, but I'm going to say this boldly. SVPG or any of these companies probably don't have a really good understanding of working with so many different cultures, right? I have no single team member where English is like first language. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's Canadian, yeah, I grew up speaking English, but like, okay, speaks Mandarin. I spent 10 plus years speaking English, but Russian and Korean, right? Mm-hmm. I have all my team members speak at least more than two languages. Minimum is two. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about Europe where two or three is like, oh, fluent two or three. Is it bottom? Yeah. yeah. Just Plus like, some. Yeah. Whereas US is just English barely have to be explicit, right? Exactly. It's not only about the language. You only know English in a low context communication style. Do you think that's the, the reason... Europe sometimes see Americans as bad listeners? Yeah, I think I would say so. I think U.S., I'm not saying we're bad listeners, but when it comes to explicit, explicit communication styles, on top of that, the cultural thing in U.S. is it's branding and marketing. You have to sell yourself. All the tech companies in U.S. are really good at selling their story. We talked about on our previous on episode with Lucas, how American tech company is carpet bombing. It's like a shotgun, right? How many million evaluation next day? It's crash. The drama. I mean, it's Hollywood, right? <laughs> I think we're trained to be bad listeners because we have to scream at people, so to speak, listen to us, listen to us. There's so much noise that everyone is trying to say. And that is the fight. Whereas Korean culture, the, the more quiet you are and you say one thing, it's also coming from Confucian teachings. Mm-hmm. So back in the day before Western culture conquered all over Asia and fucked us up, it used to be Confucius and Buddhist. I mean, still does. Culture, it's like Yoda, like saying few words. It's so packed and mm-hmm. so confusing, <laughs> but it has multiple layers of meaning. And that is something that we value I feel like as a Korean culture Mm -hmm. and they respect that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons they have that reputation about being bad listeners is because they also expect that the other person is going to be mega explicit saying things. Mm -hmm. And because they only know that style um, of communication, they do expect that if you feel X, Y, Z, you're going to be able to express X, Y, Z in the best possible way. And if you're not doing that, you're doing that on purpose. That is, to me, one of the biggest misconceptions. There. They are placing 
most of the responsibility on the on the person sending the message, right? Whereas in other cultures like in Argentina, we share that responsibility between the one receiving the message and the one sending the message. Mm. I have to confess that growing up, I always felt that when my friends or my family were telling the stories, they were omitting a lot of important details. Mm -hmm. You know, I always try to tell a good story. I like to think that I'm at least decent in telling stories and I will give you the details so you can picture that in your mind, right? And sometimes I'm listening to friends sharing a story or a tale that I was also part of. And I'm like, you're missing a lot of important details. That is so boring. You know? mm -hmm. But yeah, there's something that I want to touch on before we continue, which is if you're thinking, well, that is kind of simplistic to put a culture in a stereotype or put a label or your high context or context, whatever. Mm -hmm. What about accounting for individual differences and personalities and, and all that, right? Of course, every individual is different. And yes, you need to account for individual traits, but it's not an or, it's an and, right? Mm -hmm. You're already starting from a better place if you account for the cultural differences. And then when you build rapport, when you build uh, a relationship with that colleague, you're also going to account for the individual characteristics. So it's not one or the other. It's taking both into account. At the end of the day, she did this research by collecting information from many managers from the same culture. And if you plot that, it's going to be a, a bell where most of them are saying this is not appropriate, this is appropriate. Yeah, it's definitely and not or. I'm going to challenge Aaron um, Meyer on this. Cultural, as in like the countries make sense. However, one thing I wish she wrote or commented on is the culture that brings with the internet, right? Mm -hmm. The millennials of Instagram to Gen Z TikTok, right? There are all these trending, I don't know, I mean, you might be little... I mean, we, we are the same age, actually. You know, we are millennial, customer of a millennial, trying to understand Gen Z. I don't know if you've seen these TikTok content about Gen Z in the corporate world, how they talk. All Gen Zs are connected through TikTok and Instagram. So my company, where our audience is millennials and Gen Z, it doesn't matter if you're French or American, hmm. you have to account for that generational culture as well. I would love to see what kind of research that is. But mm -hmm. again, when I talk to our audience, my company right now, me dyeing my hair, going in, let's say, on the corporate world, Wall Street, wearing whatever I'm wearing, avant-garde clothing with crazy hair and talking as I talk, mm -hmm. right? You can't, you can't stereotype that into, oh, that's a Korean or that's American or that's German, right? What a good mix. Right. A lot of individuals who have the specific generational or cultural nuances, especially with internet. I think Reddit, TikTok, Instagram, and all these you know internet companies really, really connected everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's not where con what culture you're coming from you're interested in, right? These subcultures, so to speak. So, for example, mm -hmm. digital cultures, more like virtual cultures that go beyond geographic location right i think as we move forward it's not gonna it, that 
geographic is kind of archaic for me mm-hmm. because I, I'm taking a language course, German language course. And one of the student is like mid twenties, I would say he's an engineer from Greece. Um, he got this job on creative engineering through a discord, subreddit and discord. He was in the culture of music, creative art, creative engineering. And he found those folks who are German. Yes, there is that communicating differences, low context to high context. However, if their industry or what they're interested in and what they're building is really hyper-focused to, let's say, musicians, or in my company case, for fashion enthusiasts, mm-hmm. there is that culture that you also have to be aware of. So when I'm talking to my stakeholders, right, I also have to keep that in mind of the nuances of fashion nuances, cultural mm-hmm. references. I'm not saying Aaron missed this point, but I think this is also something that I really wanted to think through, right? Sometimes those influences are even stronger than this communicating high or low context. I'm not, I can't go up, open the culture map every time when there's a new employee. Okay. Where does Ireland or Finland sit in the explicit high or low? Right. I have general idea, mm-hmm. but also understand what's the digital culture that they're in. Right. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so there are many points in there. First of all, keep in mind that the book was published 10 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So that means that JNC wasn't even in the workforce. I would call what you're referring to as subcultures as more like communities in a way. Mm-hmm. I think they go side by side with the culture. I think culture is more higher level than the community or virtual niche where you have preferences and tastes. Could be your favorite sports team, for instance. I, I see that more as part of your interests. And when it comes to Gen, Gen Z or millennials or boomers, I think that's already a different dimension. Cross the culture, right? And maybe define the communities or the interests of these generations. But that would be a killer book to expand on Aaron's work and start accounting for a different generations, the impact of the technology, the globalization, which I think after COVID, that is pretty obvious, mm-hmm. <laughs> and have that as a starting point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Aaron, reach out to us. Maybe we'll collab with you. We'll see, you know, I mean, <laughs> we have, I have, we have touch base for those digital side of things. No, but I agree with you because one of the frustrating things we talked about the stereotype well, for me is I'm Asian. I look as East Asian as, you know, almost like an anime character now. <laughs> they just assume that I, I will be this or that, right? Mm. And I say, oh, I, I used to live in US, right? And then there's another stereotype of US, Korea. They put me into a box, right? Mm. I would definitely will lean towards US because that's my adult life and career life. However, my way of communication has developed through internet. So as much as I want to talk high context communication style to my Korean engineers, uh, we speak in Korean, uh, we speak in English, mm-hmm. I can't, right? So for Koreans, because it was an um, international company, they have a cultural thing in mind. Okay, it's explicit or he writes it like this because it's in English, right? It can be offensive too, right? He's overly writing because th- he assumes I don't speak English that well. Mm. So 
multiple levels of this ambiguity, right? And there is no correct answer to this, but I do love how um, Aaron mentioned that it's a spectrum. It's case by case. And we, we really have to understand as an individual and also understand like what is meant instead of what is said. Definitely. And you can conclude that as a PM, you better be training this skill because just learning one way of communication, one pattern, right? So you better be able to move from one to the other, especially if you have a mixed team from people all around the world. But that takes me to one of the questions. When you have this mix, you have people from high context, low context, and anything in between. What should be the communication style for that team? So there are two things that are going to affect the way the communication style goes. One is the culture of the company itself. Chances are there is a communication style and a way of providing feedback and communicating updates or disagreeing even at a company level that your team is going to take on, right? But if you have, let's say, two or more people coming from a high context, let's let's say uh, a French and an Argentinian, it, it might lead to a bigger number of miscommunication issues if they're trying their own communication style because they are coming from very different culture. So both of them will have to lower the context of their communication becoming more explicit so they can meet in the middle. So in that sense, that plays in favor to the low context uh, cultures because we can't really use high context unless we are from the same culture. That's basically the take from from Aaron's book. Yeah, I, I say this to stakeholders recently. We as a product manager need to assume that audience is dumb. <laughs> and I think that applies here as well. I'm not saying our colleagues are dumb. What I'm saying is it's better to be safe than sorry, um, being more explicit and low context. However, people might just tune off, right? Or be, they will think it's, oh, you're disrespecting me. Why are you giving me these obvious things, right? Mm-hmm. For example, back to the product scope document, you know, it's so literal. Like, what's the point? We went over this, right? So there's a company culture, also the team culture. Mm-hmm. We need to understand and align how we are communicating in a sense. One solution for me is replicating or repeating after that person's communication style. For example, if I'm having a one-on-one with a German engineer who is very literal, explicit, you know, if we're meeting at three, it has to be three. If it's three or one, you're late. Okay. There's a whole chapter about time management. Yes. And if this is, if the spec says ABC, ABC. If there is an uncertainty while we're building or the scope C changes to C slash D, it's a nightmare, right? So I will adapt to their communication style so that they feel comfortable, right? High context as well. Try to adapt to them. But if it's a bigger group, let's say my team, Mm-hmm. We have to meet in the middle. I think have the high context people understand that we're not um, being rude to these high context folks. However, being as explicit as possible so that there is no ambiguity mm-hmm. um, and slowly build that up, right? If we need to. I mean, I remember this is a probably common saying for product managers. So every team 
it's it's like an engine with with lubricator. It needs to you have to do a couple sprints to really understand the teamwork and dynamics, right? Whether estimating tickets or making sure how much we commit for a quarter or sprints. The more you work with the team, right? You know the the cap capability of their work and just how the team functions. Mm -hmm. Same thing. I think the more experience you have with your team, the better. I would also suggest it will be good to include on your retro on communication, right? This did come up on our retro about just communications, right? Uh, expectations, how quickly you have to respond Slack messages. But that was coming from an issue probably. This it is an issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's coming up because there was a cultural difference, let's say, right? For example, replying email or mm -hmm. Slack messages. How you do it. Yeah. How fast you do it. Yeah. But how do you communicate them? Right. So these are the things that I will recommend to talk during retro or alignment meeting or team building meetings. Right. So that we understand that we are on the same boat. And nobody's wrong in that sense, but we have to meet somewhere in the middle that we can sail the boats in one direction. Yeah, I mean, it's not just about meeting in the middle, it's about using the communication style that is most effective for everyone at the end. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that is the lower context, better explicit than implicit. But we also need to be more empathetic and think that this is not about us only. If to me, there's a lot of stuff here that is irrelevant for my peer, my colleague, someone else in some other team or anyone who wants to read this document should have all the information to get the big picture. I like to always connect this with async communication. And after COVID, that kind of became a skill that you need to develop. We're actually doing that with my team to go through the holidays period. And we're going to be working remotely. It's kind of different because you already work on site relationships are built and we only do this temporarily but i came up with a playbook for async communication just to make sure that we are not going to be spending time on miscommunication issues mm -hmm. and i think to do that well the summarizing aaron the body cues the body language is very important right i am a firm believer not in go to the office every day, work from home is okay. Mm -hmm. However, there needs to be a team building event or outings, right? Having that moment to see them in person and just an outing or getting to know the person, you're looking at me on the Zoom call, oh, this Asian guy, why is he talking like this, right? Mm -hmm. um, get to know your teammates, get to know people that you stakeholders you work with. Also, it's a challenge for me, right? Especially with, let's say, stakeholders that's, a general manager for me or VP that I report to, it is sometimes daunting to like talk to them. Um, and I do sometimes avoid them, mm -hmm. not going to lie. But I think understanding where they're coming from and also understanding their communication style. <laughs> I don't even want to get started on Zoom calls or video calls where people don't turn their video on. So that is, that is a terrible practice. But... What do you think about Enoch wrapping up on the key lessons that we had today? So the audience can take actionables and, and, and put this into practice already on their own teams. So we discuss the low context and high context communication style. 
We also discuss about the different cultures as an examples and, and the ones that we know, US, Germany, Korea, Argentina, which is very close to other Latin European countries. We discuss that the culture and uh, framework is just one tool. You also need to account for personalities and, and individual differences, for sure. You also need to account for maybe even generational interests, digital communities' interests, and all that to have a better picture. We discuss that when you're working in a multicultural environment, it's better to equalize towards low context to prevent miscommunication issues, especially across different high context cultures. And we also discuss the common issues between high and low context. To add, body language is a communication as well. So keep that in mind. It's really important, especially in the day and age where work from home is a part of our life. It's not ever going to go back. It's hard to read when it's on Zoom calls. So when you do meet in person, these body languages are very, very key. It is a language to take a look at. And again, I'm going to repeat this quote over and over and be as explicit as possible to our audience. Learn to listen to what is meant instead of what is said. Also, another learning in European tech companies, English is not first language. People speak two or three more languages. The, and everyone who speaks English in these companies learn English at school, but also back to the digital, whether it's, you know, movies to YouTube through media. So their expression or their communication style might be limited in specific contexts, whether it's explicit or high context, because English or that culture was um, learned in a different setting than Americans or British or English native speakers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and to close this up, if, if you had to explain to someone what is low context communication, good communication is precise, simple, and clear. Repetition is appreciated if it helps clarify the communication. Um, AKA, also known as deadass for Gen Z's. <laughs> now, good high context communication is sophisticated, nuanced, and layered. Um, messages are often implied but not plainly expressed. And last point to remember is it's all relative. So it's not about the absolute spectrum of high low context communication, is what are the cultures you are comparing and finding that gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I encourage our listeners to Google Erin Meyer, buy her book, give us a shout out. Also look up this diagram of communication, low context versus high context. It's a, it's, it's a spectrum, it's a graph that shows different countries. And I encourage you to put your country and see where your coworkers are at and where do you stand. I bet you for European countries, we will have a lot of different colleagues from different countries and it's going to be way more complex than Silicon Valley, all these big tech, which still the culture is American. That's right. So don't hesitate to share your own story. And that it's all for today. 
and we're looking forward to hear from you as well. Yeah, give us a shout out. Don't be shy. I know we have 100 plus followers on our LinkedIn. You guys are secretly watching. Just be active. Give us a shout out. Tell us who did better, me or David. Ciao, ciao. Cheesy. Nos vemos. I gotta go Riz up tonight.